jobs. It's a love letter to Houston, Texas, where he grew up. It's a love letter to his family. It's a love letter to his friends. It's a love letter to his school. But it's also about living the life that any kid would want to live. Late 60s, it was a great time and place to be a kid. But the world was changing and so... Hi, welcome to the Bomb Squad Podcast, where I couldn't, uh, uh sorry, excuse me, uh, couldn't think of a uh, good uh, bit for the open. I've turned into a cartoon, which is fitting because we're talking about Apollo 10 and a half, a movie that was partially shot in live action, but then rotoscoped in the post after the fact. Hi, I am Tanner Richard Kraft, and with me I have... Hi, I'm Austin Sweebelman. Hi, I'm Tim M. Sullivan. I'm Ethan Hawker. And we have a very special guest today for the first time. My name is AJ, which is short for Angry Joe. Wait, hold on. No, no, we've been deceived. You done fucked it up. <laughs> yes, I have turned into a cartoon that is a barely stable and pulsating. Just like Linklater's. <laughs> and today we're talking about Apollo 10 and a half. But before we get into the movie overall, what do you think about Linklater as the director? I don't know about y'all, but for me, Linklater is my favorite director. And uh, just general expectations going into this one. Tim, I'm going to start with you. So I haven't watched a whole lot of Linklater stuff. And like when I looked him up as a director it was a lot of going through his credits and going oh yeah i've seen a couple of these it wasn't like anything where i was watching stuff specifically because it was directed by him uh it was just stuff that i happened to have watched i guess my take on him as a director is like he's very much a, a vibes kind of director like he really likes to uh paint these sort of vibes of what it was like to be at this particular age at this particular time like, I just watched Days and Confused for the first time recently, and that's very much a paint what it was like to be a teenager in the 70s kind of movie. You would um, know you are a teenager from the 70s. I, I, I am 18 and from 1979. My time machine worked. Oh, Mike, I gotta tell you about this dream I had last night. Oh, yeah, what is that? Sign a contract with me, and I'll put you back in your body. You gotta promise not to tell anyone, okay? Yeah, sure. No, no say, I promise. Boyhood is one that I watched shortly after it came out. And I'm going to be honest, I think it is a overrated movie, personally. I, I can't help but appreciate that uh, a movie was able to so effectively capture the vibes of just like what it was like growing up basically throughout the entire period of my childhood. And it was shot during that whole time period. So I think conceptually that had a lot going for it. And uh, I, I do enjoy Scanner Darkly. I revisited that one the other day. It was weirder than I remembered it, but I, I do think that that's probably my favorite of his that I've seen, honestly. So going into this, you know, I watched the trailer. I thought it looked like it could be a fun time. So I was just excited to see what would come from it. Yeah. All right. All good uh, takes, except for the boyhood thing. I will be at your home later tonight and you will be dying. Good. Finally. I will be singing tonight from West Side Story as I do it. Austin, Austin. I feel like uh, you're a man most on the same page with me about the Linklaterness. I, I gotta say, a lot of what Tim said it rings true. If you're looking at Richard Linklater's good filmography, which is most of it, he is particularly capable at capturing moods and time periods. Dazed and Confused is like the quintessential 1970s softball movie. A lot of people use Dazed and Confused as a reference when they're making movies about the 70s because of how much they like the way that he captures 
captured that decade. Boyhood. I was born two years before the main character of Boyhood. Do you know how nuts it was seeing the Soldier Boy scene in Boyhood? <laughs> there are not many films that capture nostalgia from the 2000 aughts. I lost my shit, guys. He's also kind of a pioneer because of stuff like Slacker and Waking Life. I think Waking Life was the first, like, American computer animated film made by an independent company at the time. He's also a hero for making these uniquely edgy PG-13 kids movies like School of Rock or the Bad News Bears remake. So when I found out that Apollo 10 and a half was going to be a PG-13 film about Richard Linklater's childhood, and he's had been sitting on the idea since like 2004, I figured this was going to rule. When the trailer came out a month ago, the line about getting in 100% on every math test was the moment I was like, oh, this is going to be a great time. We accidentally built the lunar module a little too small. How'd that happen? Listen, are you good at math? Yeah. Do you get a perfect 100 on every test? No. Okay. So I have really high expectations for the movie. All right. AJ, how about you? I love Linklater. He's one of my favorite directors. He has such a unique spin in how he approaches filmmaking in that he works a lot with time. He'll follow the same actors for literal years so he can actually watch them grow, like Celine and Jesse in the Before Trilogy, or in Boyhood, which is literally just about a boy growing up from 2002 through 2014. He cares about putting the spotlight on the little things in life, the way he uses the morals in his films are portrayed in a way that feels so wholesome and satisfying, and with the morals that he puts in his stories, he really knows how to give the audience a sense of perspective and attachment and that's what i think makes his film so beautiful you can see yourself in a lot of the characters that he creates he's a guy who always stands up for the everyday guy and he doesn't care if you don't like his stuff his style isn't changing and that's what i love about him and with the politan and a half uh, i went in blind I went in not knowing anything. I didn't expect this to be a reflection of Linklater's childhood. And so that's what kind of made it special for me personally. AJ, I love that you brought up the time thing. Because uh, if you, if nobody brought it up, I was going to have to do it. And you said it better than I could have. Speaking of the time thing, though, fun fact for our audience and everyone else here. Richard Linklater is currently doing the boyhood thing again with a musical. Boyhood 2, Electric Boogaloo. It's adapted from a famous musical. Uh, Austin, if you can put it up in post, that'd be great. That girl from Booksmart is in it. Ben Platt is in it, from what I understand. Ooh, from Dear Evan Hansen fame. Everyone's favorite musical of 2021. Now, uh, now let's get to the hater. The hater of the group. Ethan, what makes you think uh, Linklater stands out as director to you, Ethan? And uh, what expectations did you have going into this movie? Now, as a director, I can only say so much, but I loved him. His classic performance as tour bus driver in the hit film Beavis and Butthead Do America. <laughs> God, um, you. Cause we thought we were going to score, but now it's not going to happen. Damn it. Hey, buddy, sit down. Shut up, asswipe. Oh, that's it, nut nuts. <laughs> Truly a pinnacle of animation. Uh, one of the best from Mike Judge. They really need to let that man do features again. Um, they are making another Beavis and Butthead movie. There I think it's coming out this year. This is news to me, and I'm excited. I love love that boy. But Richard Linklater, I'm very unfamiliar with his larger work. I've seen um, his two animated pictures now, um, Waking Life and A Skinner Darkly, and uh, School of Rock, which I feel like it's not the most uh, representative sampling. And School of Rock, I like. It's fun as sort of a, ostensibly a children's film, but it has a bit of an edge and it's genuinely quite funny and Jack Black has a lot of energy. It's good. It's good. I can sing. You can? Mm-hmm. Memory all alone in the moonlight. Stop, stop. Okay. Waking Life. 
I have not revisited it in a while, and I remember enjoying it well enough. And a Scanner Darkly, a Scanner Darkly, I watched more recently, but I don't like the way Linklater uses rotoscoping very much. Uh, I think it's a bit too literal, and I don't like just how high detail it is compared to, say, something like the films of Ralph Bakshi and that sort of thing. They're impressive feats in that, you know, they are independently produced animated features, like Austin said, but I think I can never quite get into them. A Skinner Darkly especially was frustrating because you'd think I'd love it because I love uh, Philip K. Dick and I love animation, and it's like, hey, these are two things that I love, and it always keeps me at just a little bit of an arm's length. It's it's like my ideal Philip K. Dick adaptation viewed through a scanner <laughs> darkly. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. We got him. As a result, I was a bit a bit leery going into Apollo 10 and a half, not knowing much about it aside from its title and, and Space Boy, um, and that's about it. But I was pleasantly surprised, and it's it's probably my favorite Linklater film so far, despite not again not having a great representative sampling of his work. I'll let you borrow my Criterion collection copy of uh, the Before Trilogy. Is that a cartoon? Uh, No. Okay, no thanks. I'll let you borrow my cardboard cutout of Link later that's hanging in my room. (laughs) That's close enough to a cartoon. I'll take that. Okay, okay, my time to shine hello. I think the last time I talked about Link later at all on this podcast was the School of Rock review I did, which is not on the podcast, just on the channel I meant. So as I've mentioned before, uh, Richard Linklater is my favorite director. I think almost every single movie he's made has been nothing but bangers. And I'm talking five-star bangers like Slacker, Dazed and Confused, the entire Before trilogy, Waking Life. Those are just a few to name right off the bat. School of Rock is my favorite of his, but I love all the movies a lot too. Boyhood, I also love, I love, love, love Boyhood. And Boyhood was one of the more important transition steps to me, falling in love with film at a much deeper level that 2014 brought me, like Birdman and Boyhood. Those are two of the most important steps in that path. As you guys have been saying, his sense of time, the way he plays with time, is really, really incredible. I think his ability to work with child actors is amazing. Across his entire career, he has worked with child actors to such an exquisite extent, and this movie is no different. So when my expectations going to this movie was, I discovered this movie existed when I just was browsing Richard Linklater's IMDb page sometime last year, and I saw Apollo 10 and a half, and I saw Jack Black, Zachary Levi, and I went, I love these actors. Beyond that, I didn't know much other than the title. And the title kind of tells you a lot. And the first trailer told me one, two, a couple things. One, that it'd be entirely animated, which I couldn't actually confirm before the trailer came out. And two, that it looked like it might have been the best of his animated movies. But I was really excited when the trailer first dropped and I thought, okay, okay, okay. Linkolator's back, baby. Where'd you go, Bernadette? Wasn't too hot, but this is, this is the comeback, baby. He on the comeback. But did he come back? All right, now that we've got into Linklater overall, our expectations, time for our big meat and potatoes question. Our thoughts on the movie overall. Austin, I want to start with you. From what I can tell, you were a big fan. Is that right? Yeah, it, it was actually a bit overwhelming for me at times. The joy that I felt seeing a 60s suburban childhood. All these shows that I used to see playing at my grandma's house on TV land reruns. And, and these shows that my dad grew up with. Songs that I grew up with listening to in the car on cassette tapes. This was like the ultimate passport there. I finally got a big, comprehensive snapshot of what it was like being a carefree kid in the 1960s. And as somebody who grew up in a kind of idyllic 1990s suburb, I was surprised with how much of this actually blended in with memories from my childhood. Like, some stuff never changed. Like Red Rover being super fucking dangerous. Or that one kid who (laughs) shouts about penises as kids are trying to sing in music class. 
or the timeless fact that the bowling alley may be cool, but the arcade in the back is where it's really at. My dad, who was born in 1962, is kind of a toy collector. He buys stuff from his childhood off eBay and then uses his electrical engineering skills to fix anything that may have been broken over time. I've been hearing about his childhood in the 1960s and how cool it was my entire life, and it brought me so much happiness to get to see this film and what it was actually like back there. Don't get me wrong, I love challenging art that asks like controversial questions and shows scenarios that make people uncomfortable. Everybody needs healthy reminders that the past wasn't like a giant Disneyland utopia, but unlike Licorice Pizza from last year, almost all the shitty things that this story brings up about the 60s are sort of uncontroversially accepted as relics of a bygone era, like the DDT trucks and corporal punishment of kids in schools, bad safety protocol in cars. This is just like a simple film about how awesome it must have been to be a kid in the suburbs and how exciting NASA used to be. There's no antagonist. The closest thing you get to a heavy scene is when the Apollo 1 explodes. It's just a big scrapbook of 1960s memories and culture. For personal reasons, I adored the film. I think it's a next-level children's film. And a movie that might also really delight people who lived through the decade. It's pure cotton candy, but it's smart as hell and genuinely sets out to do a good thing. I love this movie. Back to you, Tanner. Hell yeah, I'm, you are ecstatic about this one. That's awesome. All right, uh, AJ, uh, I, I'm dying to know. I'm dying to know, man. Tell me about it. Well, I already said that the movie was kind of special to me. But yeah, uh, Apollo 10 and a half is one of my absolute favorites of the year, no doubt. This Hell was yeah. tailor-made for me. People seem to criticize that the film relied too much on its nostalgia factor, but that's kind of what I loved about it. This is Linklater reflecting on his childhood back in the late 60s. It's a love letter to Houston, Texas, where he grew up. It's a love letter to his family. It's a love letter to his friends. It's a love letter to his school. But it's also about living the life that any kid would want to live. When you're a kid, you always have this idea of what you want to be when you grow up, no matter how hard it actually was to achieve. Like, I'm sure when Linklater was a little kid, filmmaking was something that didn't cross his mind. He probably wanted to be an astronaut or something and be the first kid in space, of course, but that never happened. But this movie is like that what if scenario. If you actually achieved that dream job you wanted to be when you were a kid, what if you did become an astronaut? And I think that's really beautiful and something that anyone can relate to. My mom told me that when I was a little kid, I was obsessed with airplanes and was hellbent on becoming a pilot. I bought every airplane toy there was, and I'm pretty sure I had an airport playset that I destroyed because I destroyed everything back Back then. Of course, now being 25 years old, I would never be a pilot. I want to work with film, but that sense of imagination was always there for me as a kid because when you're a kid, you think anything is possible. I could be a pilot or some kid could be an astronaut. And I think that's the true beauty of this film. It's a reflection of childhood with a sense of hope and childlike imagination put in. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Ethan, I'm excited to hear you talk about this one some more. I know we talked about it a bit when you and I watched it. It's pretty good. Um, no, uh, there's there's a bit more depth to it than that. It really, particularly the first half of the film, I think very much taps into a nostalgic sensibility. You know, I did grow up in a relatively idyllic suburban area, a la Austin, uh, particularly like the stories my mom would tell me about growing up. And it reflects those particularly, I, I, it's a sort of a weird one to really hone in on, but uh, chasing the DDT truck um, <laughs> on their bikes. Uh, that was one that my, my mom and brother and all the kids in the community would do pretty regularly, like shockingly frequently. Um, and just like the parents setting the kids 
out, that sort of thing, all of them going outside. It really captures that um, in a great way. Sometimes it does, like, um, I, I remember the bit where they just keep throwing television series titles on screen at first. I was like, I, I kind of rolled my eyes, but as it went on, I was like, okay, this is kind of a good bit. I get it. Like, they're just, they're, they're aware of what they're doing. They're just like, do you remember this one? Do you remember this one? Do you remember this one? I like that by the end of it. Um, I think it sometimes falls into into that Forrest Gumpism of, of minimizing actual history. It's a bit more willing to engage with it, and obviously, can, since it's a more personal story, uh, it's less important that it does engage with it. But I'm well. Well, I wish. I don't know. I, we've gotten a lot of stories romanticizing the 60s, and I, I do like it when they try to engage with things a bit more. But I'm glad Linklater at least paid some lip service to it, and it felt like he was doing something. Particularly in the second half of the film, as we were watching it, I was like, I don't, I'm not sure if I like this quite as much. The intercutting between the astronaut boy and more of the day-to-day -day stuff, just because I felt like the pacing wasn't quite right. And I still think that, but I, I do kind of like it because it is sort of reaching to this thesis at the very end, where it says your memories they aren't what you think they are like they are ultimately rose colored in a lot of ways i think link later was trying to really put a point on it there and do something interesting even if it doesn't quite gel and doesn't perfectly coalesce into something i don't think but again i just like seeing people try to do that it's what at the very least elevates the film from just good nostalgia <laughs> like it gives it sort of a, a more cohesive idea rather than just being this walking tour of the late 60s which it is a very good walking tour of the late 60s. I don't want to minimize that element of it. Yeah, because it, it very much felt like the stories my parents would tell me. Um, and I think it captures that at least pretty perfectly. When you say that this does uh, play into the realism of the era more, how it's uh, more of a childhood nostalgia thing for Linklater, unlike uh, for Forrest Gump, uh, I'll have you know that Forrest Gump actually happened to Robert Zemeckis. That is his <laughs> life story. <laughs> that happened to him for real, Ethan. Didn't you know? No, that happened to Tom Hanks. No, sorry. Chet no, sorry. I meant Chet Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> Forrest Gump is the white boy summer. And he's shirtless throughout the entire movie. That's basically what Forrest Gump 2 the book is. My favorite part of Forrest Gump 2 the book is I think Forrest accidentally makes 9-11 happen. It's a very weird book. Tim, what do you uh what do you think of the movie? Is the movie good? Movie good. It's a solid flick. Going into it, I didn't have the whole lot of like specific expectations. Like I had only seen the one trailer for it, and I thought it looked like it would be fun. Um, and it, it, it was. And uh, kind of basically reiterating what everyone's been saying, like it was a good kind of view of just like that idyllic suburban '60s life. And like as someone who basically in the '90s was in that sort of like idyllic suburb kind of setting, there's some aspects of that that I can relate to. It definitely is another one of those things I was talking about where Linklater really is good at capturing a vibe of a particular setting and just a period of a person's life. And this is definitely another one of those kinds of movies. And I, I enjoyed the aspect of it, like how after he goes into space and does the thing, like that's just a very quick thing that happens and then it moves on immediately. But then just kind of like throughout the whole rest of the movie, we have just this idea where this thing where he's just kind of like seeing himself as he was doing those things that now uh, the like Neil Armstrong is doing and like everyone's like man this is so crazy that a man's on the moon and like he he was there first but 
you can't tell anyone about it. I can imagine that that's just like a very frustrating kind of thing where it's like, I did this really cool thing, but I can't tell anybody. This but, is actually Linklater's confession. <laughs> he uh, was Neil Armstrong. <laughs> he, he was in space. That's how he got a super realistic. Insert uh, Brian Williams, I was there. Yeah, overall, a uh, good time, a uh, good uh, installation in the films of Linklater, of which I have now seen six. Back to you, Tanger. So, uh, outside of all of us, I think I feel the most similarity to Ethan uh, about the movie overall. I don't think I liked it quite as much as Austin or AJ did, but I love that you guys loved it so much. Shit rocks, you know, we all out here. I think the first half is definitely stronger than the second half overall. Once it starts cross-cutting a bit, I think I think it does damage the pacing bit, maybe even more than Ethan thinks it does. But I do agree, Ethan, you just made me realize what the ending was saying when you said that just now. So thank you for that. I can be pretty dumb sometimes. I don't know why I didn't catch that myself, especially because they literally say it out loud. I don't know why I didn't put two and two together. I don't think it makes that point super well. Like, it doesn't necessarily build towards that too terribly well, aside from that final line. So I could see how you could miss it. I just want him to be able to tell his grandkids he saw the first steps on the moon. Well, you know how memory works. Even if he was asleep, he'll someday think he saw it all. It was honestly the most vibesy of a movie I've seen from him in a while. Or it felt like more vibes, less plot, more vibes. Which, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with that. I get that. Movies can be great with that. But now that I understand more the thematic resonance of it, I think I actually like it a bit more. What I really love here is just sort of the character moments between characters. That's what really stuck out to me. I just love the way these characters talk to each other. It feels so so real. I find that Richard Linklater is an expert at making people just sound normal, sound human, sound of their era. Need I guess what flavor I must serve up to earn my ride home? Vanilla, please. Vanilla? Yeah, vanilla. You want vanilla? Yes. Of all these flavors? You want... Just scoop it. He's, he makes these conversations feel so naturalistic. You can really see that in the Before trilogy, but those movies are also like half improvised, so maybe that's not the best example. The way the mom talks to the kids or the dad talks to the kid. I love the scene of one of the grandmas explaining her conspiracy theory on the Kennedy assassination, how Kennedy's still alive, but he's just like brain dead, so they're keeping him in Cuba or whatever the hell it was. I was having a blast during that scene. And I just love all the characters in general. I love the dad is like the perfect 60s dad. It's not quite my favorite Linklater animated movie. That's probably always going to be Waking Life, only because that one does a lot more unique stuff with the different styles in the movie overall. And, uh, of course, uh, that movie has more Alex Jones than this one, which by default (laughs) makes it better. (laughs) I want freedom! That's what I want! And that's what you should want! Alex Jones' initials are AJ. Oh my oh, god, no. you're Alex Jones! Turn the freaking frogs game! I do think it's funny that this is the first animated movie by Linklater that does not have Alex Jones in it. That's not how you open a can of pickles. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I uh, really do enjoy it. Now, the animation style. What do we think of the animation style and everything? Find out after a brief commercial break from whoever put an ad spot here. Welcome back. From a commercial break, uh, my ladies and fish, we're going to move on to our next question is, what do you think of the animation style of this movie? Ethan, you had the most to say about it in our preamble question, so we're going to start with you. What do you think of the animation style of this one? I think it's considerably improved from uh, Linklater's previous films. Waking Life basically looks like one of those uh, ambition games that were done in Flash in like the early (laughs) 2000s. Oh, the pain. Uh, That were like Canadian animations. God, awful. And then Skinner Darkly, it's just too detailed with that weird mosaic look. I don't know. It, it looks like a filter, basically. What's a filter? But uh, Apollo 10 and a half, I don't think 
it manages to escape that sort of uncanny look. Um, and the simple answer is there's too much shading. He does, he improves on it in that it uses like simple shading and there's like, it's a lot more colorful um, and vibrant and there's clever integration of 3D models for background elements and stuff that look good um, and a bit more stylized. But the actual character animation is again, sort of rough around the edges because it's very clearly, very literal rotoscoping. And I, I don't know, I don't think it does like that particular style for the major character animation adds like a particularly dreamy quality. I think I understand why he used it. I just don't think it quite achieves the effect he was going for. But again, it's mostly in the subtle things where it's more of an issue, like where you see someone's hairline constantly wiggling and wobbling, which is, is never an, or very rarely an issue in something like the rotoscoped films of Ralph Bakshi, American Pop, I think, while it has like some of those uncanny moments, um, the texture of hand-painted cells and the uh, lack of shading and use of expressive color help counterbalance things. But, I, again, looks better than all of his other stuff. He's clearly improving. He gets an A for effort. <laughs> Famous director who has won many an award. But uh, one element of the animation I did love, um, and I do want to highlight this, is I loved the, um, whenever they're like showing an old piece of media, uh, they do like those impressionistic paintings. Those look great. Um, and I feel like that really captures the feeling of like a distant memory of like a half-remembered television show or like seeing something on the news way back when. I think that's super expressive and it's a little rough, but in a way that feels stylistic and intentional. I love, love, love that. And I think Linklater is just getting better and learning how to use the, the tool set of animation to achieve the effects he really wants to achieve in a big way. Good stuff, despite some issues. All right, Ethan, thank you for that. Tim, you're probably the second biggest animation person here. What say you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's... Uh decently well animated, kind of like what Ethan was saying. I don't think I like it as much as the rotoscope stuff from Bakshi. It's not my favorite rotoscope animation that I've seen, but yeah, it, it was solid. I think it's a little less weird to look at than a Scanner Darkly. And like, I think that was the point with a Scanner Darkly is that it's supposed to be like kind of uncomfortable to watch and kind of weird and uncomfortable to look at. But I think for what this film was going for, it had a style that was more palatable and uh, I think that that helped for the betterment of the aesthetic of the film. So, yeah, that's about it. All right. Uh, AJ, what say you? Yeah, this is very typical of Linklair to animate like this. It, it very clearly looks like, you know, he filmed with live action first and just animated over it, which isn't a problem for me. I love that he does that. To me, it just kind of gives a more realistic vibe. I very much agree with Ethan about the whole how they animate like old pieces of media and how it looks like an impressionist painting especially when they do like the sound of music, it kind of reminds me of like an oil painting. It's like I'm looking into like a comic strip, like a Sunday morning paper comic strip, as weird as that sounds. It looks really, really good. For sure, for sure. All right, Austin, what say you, sir? There are some serious pros to consider when looking at the rotoscoping in this. For starters, it works as sort of a smoothing effect. Everything in each shot blends into a cohesive whole because it's all animated. Like, one problem when you make movies about the past is it's really hard to make everything look appropriately lived in because it's either too new, you know, made by the art department for the film, or too old, taken from some collector, or it's in pristine fucking condition because it's a valuable antique. This makes certain live-action period pieces look strange sometimes. That smoothing effect also helps them integrate different media into the film while having it look cohesive, like old cartoons, TV shows, 
well-preserved classic movies like Sound of Music in 2001, less well-preserved films like It and The Frozen Dead, and tiny 8mm home videos from around the Houston area at the time. And, you know, the boldness of the blinds may change sometimes and the shapes may get more impressionistic, but it's all cohesive. And good god, are we probably more willing to see, like, a digitally 2D animated film about the 60s? than a 3D animated film about the 60s, considering, like, the tone it's going for. Think about serious works of art, like American Pop, that explore the past. And then think about, like, the 2015 film Minions. That is set in 1968, so which fits the mood better? In, in short, I think that using Tommy Pilata's weird advanced version of the old Bob Sabiston, like, Rotoshop pipeline actually helped the film, from every angle I can see it, you know? I can't believe you managed to bring up Minions. I never thought I would hear Minions and Richard Linklater in the same discussion. <laughs> I'm, I'm hurt. You guys excited for Minions 2? Oh god, yeah, that's supposed to finally come out this year, isn't it? I like how they made fun of NFTs on April Fools. That was great. Yeah, I'm generally a big fan of it. I think uh, this is his animation style at its best, possibly. It looks way better than it does in a Scanner Darkly, because again, I do not really, I'm not a huge fan of how a Scanner Darkly looks, much like Ethan is. I think it looks too realistic for its own good. This one is way, it's, it's dialed back a bit, and I think it's all the better for it. Ethan and I visibly got excited when the 2001 moment came on screen, I'm pretty sure. We both went, yo, that's cool! Yeah, they finally figured out how to make uh, 2001 the perfect movie. Um, it was just missing that one thing, and it was being a cartoon. <laughs> yeah, when you said that, oh god, I'm laughing so hard. And then you beat me up until I gave you Pop-Tarts. <laughs> Yeah, I generally like the animation style. The pulsatingness of the hairs and everything like that doesn't generally bother me. To me, I kind of like the imperfections personally. I think it generally just kind of falls into the, I don't know, I just think it looks neat. Marge holding a potato, I just think it's neat. Mom, you're always trying to give me rotoscoping. What is it with you? I just think they're neat. I love how colorful it is. I love how much the colors pop in this. The colors are really colorful. Great sentence, Tanner. Great sentence. It's vibrant. It's really vibrant. That's what I'm looking for. Mm, yes, the colors are made of color. So, really quick, ladies and gentlemen, are you excited to see Link later potentially do more animated stuff, or would you rather he just stay away from the medium and stick in his own lane? Austin, we'll start with you. Look, short of pulling, like, a Joel Haver and using EB synth to, like, map drawings onto a video's optical flow data, 2D animation is mad expensive and time-consuming, especially rotoscoping. But there were times when I was watching this where I was wondering, like, is this actually maybe the path of least resistance for certain period pieces? Like, what if there are some movie ideas where the best end product is made by getting some actors in front of a green screen and having animators do a lot of the rest? If somebody knows the answer to that, I'd say it's probably Richard Linklater or his longtime friend, Tommy Pilata. It's the farthest thing from a saturated market, too. I say go ahead. Make more of these if that's what produces the best end product. Tim, what say you? Sure. AJ, how, how are you feeling, AJ? It depends. If it's a lot like this, then I'm all for it. But I'm still not really used to his style of animation. It's still a little too odd for me. I'm not saying it's bad, it's not bad at all, but I think he works better with the live action setting. And Ethan, I'm sure you're gonna have the best thing to say about this. 
Um, I agree with um, Austin, really. I think particularly for period pieces, it's uh, well-suited. Um, and I would like to see Linklater do stuff. I like seeing more animation in general. And the other key example I was actually going to bring up is the uh, 2016 film Tower, which de uh, depicts the uh, University of Texas shooting from 1966 and is entirely oh, rotoscoped, a la this film. And I think that while that still has some of the, the expected awkwardness of using like filtered photos for backgrounds and limited palette stuff, I think that for like period pieces on a budget or depicting like a historical event like that in particular, it gives you a lot of options to both depict it truthfully and also add a certain amount of stylistic flair that reflects like cultural memory in a way that you can't really do quite so easily or even necessarily as effectively in a purely live action feature. So yeah, I'm excited to see more from him, especially since, you know, he's just been getting better with each of these in a lot of ways, I would say. All right. <clears throat> For me, what it boils down to is whatever he thinks is best. It depends on the piece. It's, I'm just basically ripping off AJ's answer. Depends on the piece, depends on what he's going for. I'm definitely all for seeing more of it if the project calls for it right. However, more importantly, what I really want Richard Linklater to do is make another before movie. Linklater, please, Richard, please, I'm begging you, make another before movie. It's all I want, please call me. And, and hire Ethan to make it cartoon. Ethan will animate it all by himself. He just told me he can do this. Yeah, sure. How about, how about <laughs> like, instead of, like, Linklater animating the before movie, he has Don Hertzfeld do it. Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy as, like, pencil sketches. Stick figures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. We're uh, getting into everyone's favorite section of the show. Tanners. Trivia. Corner. That is right. We have a few pieces of trivia here. Not a ton, because like I said, since he was able to make this movie basically entirely at a soundstage, there's not exactly a bunch of fun production stories, but there's a few ones. Uh, one, of course, is how I think uh, our main voice of the movie, Jack Black, who voices the older Stan in the voiceover, uh, actually has a personal connection to NASA and the space program. His mother, Judith Love Cohen, helped develop the abort guidance system. Now, here's the fun fact about the abort guidance system. The abort guidance system was the key system that helped the astronauts of Apollo 13 get back to Earth safely. So shout out to Jack Black's mom for saving those boys. Huh? How about that? <laughs> women, am I right? Go women. Cool. Moms rock. It actually floored me when I found out that it was Jack Black doing the narration. Oh, yeah. It's so fitting, too. The occasion on this fateful day that put everything in motion. Fourth grade recess. Jack Black is so good. I love Jack. He makes everything better. In my latest video of the uh, review of Sonic the Hedgehog 2, I mentioned how children are going to floss into the theater to see the movie, and I added a gif of Jack Black flossing. <laughs> oh, I love this world. Um, so, all the filming, like I was saying how they were doing in Soundstage, all of the actual filming was done in front of a green screen, and everything the characters do not interact with was animated in post-production. So, when Linklater first conceived this idea, he originally wanted to do it in live action, but he instead decided to go for an animation style specifically influenced by, and according to him, Saturday morning cartoons because of the playful style of the animation and he thought it'd be really fitting for the piece. I'm not exactly sure this looks like a Saturday morning cartoon, but I most certainly get why he would uh, go in that direction. And uh, the last piece of trivia I have here. So the two uh, NASA officials, uh, one of which was played by Zachary Levi, uh, their names are Bostick and Kranz, right? These are named after actual real-life NASA engineers, Jerry Bostick and Gene Kranz. 
You can see Gene Kronz in the special thanks of First Man, Damien Chazelle's movie, but Jerry Bostick actually worked on a couple of Hollywood movies himself. Apollo 13, where he was the technical consultant, and he worked on everyone's favorite American auteur, Michael Bay, and his movie, Armageddon, uh, where he was a mission control advisor. So uh, I've successfully brought up Michael Bay. Go see Ambulance only in theaters. It's actually really good. Ambulance 10 and a half. (laughs) (laughs) All right, fellas. So that's all the trivia I have for you. Let's go into our final thoughts on the movie overall. Tim, we'll start with you. It was a solid flick. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It's one of those movies, like, being able to just conveniently stream it, it was just, like, a nice thing to kind of just put on in the background. And, yeah, very enjoyable. Check it out. Austin, what say you? Childhood is supposed to be a magical time. The analog age that our parents grew up in had a lot of charming things going for it, and I'm glad Apollo 10 and a half exists as a monument to the most exciting, kid-oriented parts of the 1960s. I found a lot of satisfaction in this film for personal reasons, but I hope its carefree structure and amazing bandwidth of goofy stories can also entertain people unfamiliar with the era. I hope I get to watch this with my dad someday, because it almost feels like it's tailor-made for him. Hey, Jay, final thoughts? Since my name is short for Angry Joe, can I channel my inner Angry Joe? Go right ahead. What the fuck is wrong with critics? Seriously, <laughs> that was an awesome fucking movie. <laughs> no, it, it, it's one of my favorites of the year, most definitely. I don't know if it's like one of my favorite Linklater films, but I think it's one of his most wholesome. I think it's one of his most beautiful definitely but it's not beautiful in a sense where like the before trilogy was beautiful it doesn't kind of play around with the concept of time or anything this is just a reflection of childhood and it reminded me a lot of my childhood and my school days you know just hanging out with my friends when i was a little kid and just finding something to be passionate about finding something that does give me some kind of color in my life and it stuck with me like i really do love this movie 4.5 out of 5 that's what i'm gonna give it hell yeah hell yeah of course aj also did land on the moon ethan well what about you pretty good i'm glad i got to see it um it's a good it's a very nostalgic time and um i have the that sort of exact same reaction that austin did and that like after I saw it, I'm like, I want to show this to my parents because I think they'd really enjoy it. And you literally said that out loud. <laughs> yeah, like I'm gonna, I literally said, I'm gonna tell my mom about this movie. Um, I think it, it is a very good sort of vibes picture, and it captures a time period so well. It's like looking back on your youth through a scanner brightly. Uh, it boosts the <laughs> contrast a little bit, up the saturation. I, I definitely revisit it, and I'm excited to see uh, potentially more animation um, and more animated like period pieces like this from Linklater and other creatives uh, in general. Good ground. Yeah, basically just copy and paste what everyone else said. I really enjoyed this movie. Had a good time with it. Nice, wholesome vibe. First half a little stronger than the second half, but it's just a great time all around. Jack Black should narrate more things. I could watch him narrate a purred eating a fly. You know what else? Or who else has nostalgic for their childhood? The Nostalgia Critic. You! Thank you for watching slash listening to this podcast. If you're listening on any of the audio platforms you're on, please go ahead and leave us a review. It helps boost us in the algorithm or something. If you're watching this on Spotify video, hi, I hope you enjoyed the three uncensored curse words or whatever this is going to wind up being. That's probably a good time for you. Hi, welcome. (laughs) How about you go down and uh, go to our Patreon and uh, give us some money 
If you're watching it on YouTube, thank you oh 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 so very much for watching. And if you are watching it on YouTube, go ahead and go down to AJ Ford's own YouTube channel. And don't you want to plug that real quick, AJ? Uh, what I recommend is that people who are subscribed to Angry Joe Reviews, that's not me, um, go unsubscribe <laughs> from Angry Joe Reviews and subscribe to AJ Ford. And also follow me on Letterboxd, which is A Ford. And also follow the Bomb Squad and follow Tanner's Letterboxd. Please subscribe and support my Patreon. Uh, thank you, thank you, AJ. And uh, well, after you're done doing all that, go down to the comment section below and let us know. Have you seen Apollo 10 and a half? If so, what did you think of it? Did you like Linklater's animation style? Do you want him to do more cartoon movies? And what do you just think of Linklater as a director? And my final question for you, of course, is did you kill John Lennon? Comment below and let me know. And uh, while you're down there, hit the like button so we know how much you like us. Hit the subscribe button so we know how much you love us. And hit the bell icon so you know exactly when we upload new videos. Make sure you tune in next week when we talk about rolling around at the speed of sound, Sonic 2! See you then! Yo! <laughs> Farewell. Catcher in the Rye made me do it. <laughs> Forrest Gump is the white boy summer. <laughs> <laughs>